Welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCurney. We thought we'd throw a curveball at you and give you a little unique opening. We've had 26 weeks of shows thus far, and uh, that's half a year. We're very proud of that and grateful for your participation. Want to welcome new viewers and old viewers. We want to welcome Christians and non-Christians and pagans and atheists and hedonists and everything that you are so we can talk about the Lord. We particularly speak about uh, Mormonism because that's my area of expertise, so to speak. But we talk about anything and hopefully you'll stay tuned and continue to watch. This is a live call-in show. We'll give you the number uh, for uh, the studio in a little while. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise your name. We worship you, God. We're thankful for all that we have. We're grateful for the show. Be with us here in the studio and the viewers at home that we'll be able to talk about messages that are important to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The LDS say in one of their articles of faith, we believe that all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Last week, one of our guests, Amy, mentioned a very important biblical concept relative to the law. It comes from James 2.10. Let me read it. For whoso shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So in other words, if you go through your whole life and you obey the law exactly, which is impossible, but let's say that you did, and the day that you died, you broke one point of the law, you would die having been, been guilty of, the of breaking the entire law. That's what it says in James. You can check that out for yourself. The point is that we are all guilty of breaking God's law in one way or another. The specific sins are all in, in error against God's law. What is the law? Is it possible to keep the law? Mormonism says that we are saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Is our keeping some of the law better than not keeping any of it at all? Can you keep it completely? In general, the term the law in the Bible refers to the whole Mosaic legislation. And there are four areas that we're going to talk about generally to help you understand what the law is. The first is the law of nature. I want you to consider Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. Also Romans 1.20 talking about the law in nature. For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. This verse says that God is written in nature. It's written in, in the, the creations that we see, and even the savages can know that there is a God who testifies of himself through nature. The law is also written on every person's heart. So we have the law written in nature. We have the law written on each of our hearts. Romans 2.15 that says, Which show, talking about the Gentiles, the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, 
and their thoughts and meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In other words, what this is saying, that's kind of a convoluted verse, but what it's saying is that the Gentiles, before they knew Christ, had the law written on their hearts. And they would go about excusing or accusing each other because of this law that was on their hearts. The law of nature is in all people. It is generally designated conscience. Some people suggest that the law of God does not exist in humanity. I contend that everyone with senses has a witness to the supernal nature of God. Nature surrounds us and testifies of God. Nature and the law in our heart testifies of God. It is by this that people will be judged who have not heard of God, have not heard of Jesus' name, to answer that question that we get so often. This is all made possible by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Next, we have ceremonial law which under the Old Testament consists of the rites and ceremonies that they used to do in the temples and the children of Israel. These things were done as a picture of Jesus to come. All the ceremonies, all the Levitical uh, ordinances and everything they did were all pictures of the Messiah who was to come. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ died in vain. So we know from that that righteousness cannot come by the law. One, you can't keep it. But even if you could, then Christ had no purpose in coming. If the law could have saved us, it would have. And Jesus never would have had to come. The Jews couldn't keep the law. Ceremonial law was obligatory for the Jews, for the children of Israel, all the way up until Jesus Christ came. All right. The temple rites, the ceremony, the rituals of the high priests were fulfilled through the righteousness of Jesus, through his life, through his suffering, through his resurrection. Matthew 27:50 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was written twain from the top to the bottom. It was truly finished. And the reason that it says the veil was ripped in twain from the top to the bottom is because it showed that man didn't go and pull that veil apart that separated man from God. But God ripped the veil that was in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer court and the inner court. God took that veil and he ripped it from the top to the bottom and said, it's all completed. The ordinances, the law, the ceremony, the ritual, the rites, it's done. Jesus fulfilled that ceremonial law. Do you think you can live the ceremonial law today? Do you think that's in your power? You cannot live the ceremonial law and you don't live it. First of all, you're probably not Jewish, but even the Jews don't live the ceremonial law. They don't practice sacrifice any longer. How come? Because Mount Moriah, where the temple site is, the only temple site, according to them, where they can do their worshiping and their sacrifices, is not available to them right now. So they've even stopped doing sacrifices which were required by the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. So even the Jews aren't following the ceremonial law. Okay? We get that? Listen to this. This speaks of the relationship that Christians have with God now that that veil has been ripped open. Listen carefully. Hebrews 10. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, 
which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. That veil is ripped of the ceremonial law. We have access to the Father, to that holy place, through what? Through the flesh of Jesus Christ, through our faith in what he did for us. He becomes that veil. All right? Listen, speaking of the differences of the ceremonial law in Jesus, listen to what Hebrews says again. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do you see the inanity, the inanity of trying to follow anything ceremonial to establish your own righteousness or cleanliness? Do you see how ceremonial rules and rites and rituals do not do it any longer? That all they did was point to him who has already come? We have the judicial law, and that was directed by the, that directed the civil policy for the Hebrews. And finally, we have the moral law, which is the one everyone is, is familiar with. And we're going to spend this last few minutes talking about the moral law. The moral law is re the revealed will of God regarding human conduct. We call it the Ten Commandments. It is binding on all people until the end of time. It was promulgated at Sinai. The scriptures call it perfect in Psalms, perpetual in Matthew, holy in Romans, spiritual in Romans, and exceedingly broad in Psalms. Although binding on all of us, we are not under it as a covenant of works. We are under the covenant of grace. There is a huge difference between the two. The Jews were under it as a covenant of works. We are under the covenant of grace, and it is a mockery to try and reinstitute salvation through obedience to laws and ordinances of a gospel. Uh, Hebrews 10.29 says there is a very sore punishment for those who despise the blood and, and the spirit of grace of Christ and trample it under their feet. There is a sore punishment for those who try to reestablish this law and ignore the spirit of grace. The moral law was given to the children of Israel as an antecedent to the sacrifice of Jesus. And though the Ten Commandments are perfect and holy, what they truly do is reveal how sinful we are. That's one of their purposes. God gave us his perfect law, but we have never been able to follow it. And so all it does is reveal how sinful we are. When we recognize that sin, we come to Jesus. And that is another thing that Jesus did with the law. He went before the Jews. He came as a savior and he said, okay, you've heard this being said about the law. Well, let me tell you what it really means. And when he gave those extra things about what it really means, it condemned everybody who was listening. And what he was saying is, I'm the only way. I'm the only way you're going to make it back to God. Your laws aren't going to do it because you can't keep them. Now, I want to do something right now if I can. I want to teach you the Ten Commandments in order if you, haven't, if you don't know them in order. And if I teach you this way, you're going to learn them very quickly. And you'll never forget them because I've never forgotten them. Are you ready? One rhymes with one. There is one God. Have no other gods before him. Two rhymes with zoo. There are statues in zoos. Statues are graven images. Do not make any graven images. Three rhymes with tree. Trees are made, uh, trees have leaves and leaves have veins. 
Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Four rhymes with door. Doors are made of wood. Wood have knots. Knots fall out and leave holes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Five rhymes with alive. Your mother and father made you alive. Honor your father and mother. Six rhymes with six shooter. Don't kill. Seven rhymes with heaven. You can't go to heaven if you commit adultery. Eight rhymes with gate. Gates are made of steel. Don't steal. Nine rhymes with lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, don't bear false witness. And ten rhymes with men. And don't covet what other men have. Those are the Ten Commandments. If you review those, you will uh, get those in your head and you'll never forget the order of them again. But let's talk about those Ten Commandments and the order and why they're important. Are you ready? The Commandments 1 through 4, they address our relationship to God. If you remember them again, they'll address how we are supposed to have a relationship with God. And if you just follow those four, your relationship with Him would be perfect if you could do it. Five through ten are our relationship with our fellow man. And the different religions from Lutherans to Catholics to Jews to uh, uh, Samaritans all have a different way they believe those laws were on the tables, the two tablets that Moses brought down. Some of them believe three were on one and, and seven were on another. Some believe that five were on one and five were on the other. There's a whole thing, and I won't go into that because of time. But let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. And I'm going to go through those Ten Commandments with you. And I want to show you how guilty you are of keeping the Ten Commandments. Okay? First, Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying. Isn't that beautiful? And God spake all these words, saying. I wonder if God really spake all those words or if that was translated correctly. I just wonder if it was translated. I mean, should I believe the word of God that said God spake all these words? Or should I believe men who said we can't trust the word of God? I think I'll believe God, that God spoke all these words. All right, let's go to the first commandment. Verse 2. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Have you ever had another God before the God of heaven? Ever? How do you know? How can you tell? I think the way you can tell if you have another God is what you're worried about, what you think about most, what you desire most, what you spend the most time on, what you spend the most time studying, what you try to get in your life more than anything else. That is what you worship. And if at any time in your life it hasn't been God with the capital G and it's been God with a little g, music, food, sex, drugs, rock and roll, new car, neighbor's house, whatever it is, something like that. Whatever it is that fills your thoughts, if that's it, and that's the little g, you are guilty of this law. And guess what that means? You're guilty of the whole law. You are in violation of the whole thing. All right? That's what James tells us. Number two, thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the sea below. That's a very interesting scripture. We're not supposed to make or bow down to any likeness that is in heaven above, earth beneath, or water below. I wonder if that includes the Christos in the Temple Square there in Salt Lake City. I, I wonder sometime. I wonder if that's a graven image. 
Human beings, we long to fill the gaps in our mind with information. Spinoza said nature abhors a vacuum. So when we don't know something, our natural man, our natural woman wants to go out and put something there in that space that's empty, all right? And so a graven image is very dangerous because what it does is it takes us from worshiping God in spirit and truth and letting him teach us who he is spiritually. Instead, it puts us in our minds a picture of him that some man has painted or created. And then we think about that when we are worshiping him. That's a graven image. We're not supposed to have it. We're supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth. I would suggest you look at last month's Sunstone magazine if you want to see a real interesting article on the pictures, the way they've drawn Joseph Smith over the years and how he now parallels very closely to Jesus Christ and the way those two pictures look. It is amazing what they've done, how he has morphed. And now when you look at those two pictures side by side, you see a picture of Joseph, you see a picture of Jesus, and they're like from the same family. I mean, it's amazing. So, I mean, we don't have graven images. I really appreciate the fact the church I go to doesn't have statues, doesn't have paintings of Jesus or God or anything. They do have icons, and iconography is very different. Iconographic is very different than an image. But we don't worship any of those. We simply worship God in spirit and truth. So if you have had a graven image in your life, you've broken that commandment. Number three, thou shalt not take the Lord uh, thy God name in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So either by swearing falsely or rashly by his name or by condemning his name. Of course, it is vile to use God's beautiful name, Yahweh especially, or our understanding of it from the Tetragrammaton, but it is vile to use God's name in a blasphemous way. That is understood. There's nothing more uh, horrifying than go to a movie and hear them do that. But taking the name of God in vain is not merely saying his name in association with anger or blasphemy. It's also when you tell somebody that God wants you to do something that he doesn't want you to do. And it's also when you tell somebody that God doesn't want you to do something that he does want you to do. I remember years ago that I was invited by a stake presidency member and he sat me down and he said, I want you to know that God has called you to this position. He was calling me to be a stake missionary. And I know God has told me that you are to take this calling. It's so important. He knows you. He loves you. Will you accept this position, Shane? And I said, well, uh, are you talking about Shane, another guy that we know? Well, no, I'm talking to you. Your name's Shane. No, my name is Sean. And you're telling me God wants me to do this thing and you don't even know my name? I mean, what is it? Now, that's just a little side anecdotal story, but it talks about people saying, using God's name to get things done that they want done when God not necessarily is behind it. That's using God's name in vain. Be careful. Number four. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy? Um, to be honest, this is an entire show, especially relative to Latter-day Saints, but let me give you a quick synopsis of the, of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day to the Jews was on a Saturday, and it was the last day of the week. And the reason that it was on the last day of the week is because they were under the law, and they were constantly working and under pressure and under to do everything right, and they had a day of rest. And they came to that day of rest and they were to rest from their labors and to rest completely from all the things that they were doing. And they had a lot of specific things for that day. When Jesus came, 
He says, I will give you rest. Peace I leave with you, I will give you rest. And so we are to rest in the Lord every day of our life. Now we do have a Lord's Day, and that is the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And from that first day, we spring forward into the rest of our week with Jesus having worshiped him at the beginning of our week. But it is that we are not under the obligation of the law for a Sabbath day. One, it's impossible because we're not Jews and we didn't make the covenant with God to, for the Sabbath day. Two, the punishment for breaking the Sabbath day was death. Okay, so you can't keep the Sabbath day. Now, one of the ironies of Mormonism that I've observed is that they believe in keeping the Sabbath day holy, but they break it. I, it's unconscionable to me that if you think the Sabbath day is part of God's word, you would do nothing to break it. But Latter-day Saints easily come up with reasons to play on Sunday, to go to the store on Sunday. In fact, the story says that Joe Albertson in Idaho, he said uh, the church came to him years ago and said, will you please close your stores on Sunday? And Joe Albertson said back to the church, hey, keep your members out of my stores and I'll close them. So, you know, the Sabbath day is really funny because you're not going to get away with a, hey, you know, wink, wink, Lord, I'll, you know, Sabbath day, I'll kind of keep it, I kind of won't. If you're under the Sabbath day, you better be keeping it. And that's a heavy burden. And if you broke it once, again, guilty of the entire thing. Number five, honor thy father and mother all the days of thy life, that you may, your days may be long upon the earth. Have you always honored your father and mother? If you haven't, you're guilty of the whole law. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Oh, you're saying I haven't killed anybody. I'm not guilty there. What did Jesus say about that? What did he say about that commandment? He said in Matthew 21, You have heard it said of them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother, angry with his brother. Have you ever been angry with your brother? And who is your brother? Everybody. Have you ever been angry? You are guilty under what Jesus said. Do you understand what he came for? He came to show that you're guilty and you need him and not rules and laws. You need a relationship with him. Am I getting through to you on this? Have you ever said raka to somebody, which means vain person? I think in Aramaic or Arabic. Jesus said getting angry. Are you getting the picture? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Hold on to your hats, folks. Most of the men listening in this audience have failed this one. Because Jesus said, if you look upon a woman, you've committed it with her already in your heart. Okay? Now, men, if you have never, ever looked upon a woman with lust, you're unusual. Very, very unusual. And you're free of that sin. But if you've broken the others or any of the others, you're guilty of it all anyway. But if you haven't done that, that's fine. But more and more people every day are committing that sin. And it's a sin. And we need Jesus to overcome it. Either the lust in our heart or our outward actions, it's the same when you stand before God. Sin is sin. And all of it will keep you separate from him. Jesus said in Matthew uh, 27, 5.27, you've already committed it. All right? Knowing human nature, Jesus offered himself as the answer for your salvation and forgiveness from these problems. He knew that all of us were failing. He knew all the children of Israel failed under the law. He knew that every single person is going to fail under their laws and obediences and commandments. All of us. And he came and he saved you from it. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, that's such an uh, easy one. You know, have you ever stolen? Some people say never. How about a penny? How about on your taxes? Ever get an extra refill at the Piggly Wiggly when you shouldn't have? Uh, you ever sneak into a movie theater? You ever share at an all-you-can-eat buffet? I mean, how guilty do you want to feel after listening to this show? We're guilty. We're under the law. 
all right? Thou shalt never, never bear false witness, all right? We'll just skip that one. Let's say you've never done it. Number 10, finally, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Have you ever looked at a neighbor, and who is your neighbor, everybody, and said, I wish I had that? Fame, success, money, looks, whatever. Guilty of the law. I don't usually preach on the law because it really starts to get uncomfortable, doesn't it? When you see your sin before the Lord. The LDS Church says that you're going to be saved by your obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. It's pure bullcrud. That's all it is. You are not going to be saved by your obedience because you're not obedient. And if you think you are, you're lying to yourself. Look deep at your heart. That's what Jesus tried to get people to do when he came. Look at yourself and then fall on your knees and call out to this mighty God we've talked about and ask Jesus to forgive you of these sins that you continually commit and give you the strength to overcome them and in time you will. But you won't be perfect. You'll continue to commit them. Guilty under the law. For he, Jesus, is our peace who hath made us one and broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the hatred, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. He abolished those with his flesh. Galatians 3.22, But the scripture hath concluded that all of us are under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. We're no longer under law. For ye are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. One more, and we'll go to the lines. Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, talking about Adam, as by Adam's offense, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. It goes on in verse 19. For as by disobedience, Adam's, for as by one man's disobedience, we were all made sinners. You get it? So by the obedience of one, Jesus, shall many be made righteous. That's the message of the law and grace. Let's go to Willard in Farmington, first time caller. Willard, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. But I'd like to uh, reply to Diana's question of last week. Okay. Uh, and I've written this down so I can read it quickly and uh, without interruption. I should get through in about four minutes. Too long. Okay. Uh, this is my answer and uh, should not be construed as an official church reply. We're not going to hunt you down and, and hold your feet to the fire. But give us a synopsis, okay? Uh, okay. I'll skip what her question was. No, give us the question. The audience might not have read it. Go ahead. Diane asked the question of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints concerning their belief in the Bible. Okay. 
she asked, what parts of the Bible don't they believe? Okay. I have uh, an understanding that they don't, what they don't believe, they say they believe the Bible as far as it is translated. Right. What parts do they not believe? Okay. I've never had anyone tell me. All right. So uh, I would say, Diana, that uh, we love and believe the Bible and possibly believe it more than any other people. I say this for four reasons. One, we have Latter-day scriptures that clarify and support the Bible. Two, there are many revelations from Jesus Christ to our Latter-day Saint prophets that have, been that have restored gospel truths. Three, there are several Bible prophecies that have been fulfilled within the Church of Jesus Christ in these latter days. And four, Joseph Smith's inspired revision of the Bible, which corrects some of the major mistranslations of the Bible. And this was done under the command of the Lord to one of his prophets and done under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. How come we don't use the JST? Uh, How come Mormons don't use the JST? How come the church doesn't have you use that version? Uh, we uh, make some reference to it. Yeah, I know you make references to it, but why don't you use the whole JST if Joseph Smith went through and changed and, tr and clarified all these important errors that are in the Bible? Uh, his work was not that comprehensive. Oh, but, but it would be perfect, wouldn't it, since he came forth with it? Why wouldn't they reveal the whole thing to us and let us use it in everyday life? Uh -huh. Well, probably... Because it was full of errors. No. Okay, You're, all, your, uh, all of your four points are just based on your belief that men today uh, can, by inspiration, like the Quakers used, just by feeling that they can receive God's inspiration on what words to change in the Bible and not. The big difference between what you're saying and what the Christian community says is the Christian community goes back to as far back as they can to all the original sources. They look as deep as they can into the language. They do, the, they do all the cross checks with the uh, archaeology. And there is the difference. Okay, so, they can go back uh, to uh, copies of the original. Yeah. Never back to the original. Yeah, but we can see, for instance, the the Dead Sea Scrolls. We can see that they verify that what we have as from the copies of the originals were authentic to the originals. Okay, are you going to let me give her an answer? or? Oh, I thought you just did. I thought oh. those were four points of your answer. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, so as a result of these helps, these four and others that I haven't mentioned, there are several Bible passages which we understand and appreciate that others do not. Give me one. Uh, having to do with the, the Godhead being three separate persons in the Godhead. Okay, you know what? what, what I can't, I'm sorry because the screen's changed. What's your name? Willard. Willard, I appreciate your diatribe and the notes you've taken, but I'm not going to, this is, uh, it's futile. I'm not cutting you off because you're coming up with something that is uh, so original, I don't have an answer. I'm, I want to cut you off because, one, you're reading a four-minute thing, and two, it's just not valid. You, you, uh, you know, you're not going to sit here on the show and tell everybody that the LDS Church has come up with the true definition of what the Godhead is. When, with you, when you read the Bible contextually, God is one. God is not three. God did not have a beginning. God was not, does not have a father who has a father who has a father. And Jesus was not a created being. So you're not being fair. You're trying to put uh, something over the eyes that you have some wisdom that they don't. This Gnostic view. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm going to cut you off because I don't like it. All right. We're going to Larry on line two. Larry, you're on Heart of the Matter. How you doing, Sean? 
Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, I've got a question and something now uh, I'd like you to elaborate on a bit. Uh, you touched on it briefly when you're talking about the law of the heart. Yeah. You're talking about the people, uh, and basically my question is for the LDS people, there are people uh, people in the world that were, were not um, saved before Christ or have not heard of Jesus afterwards. The LDS Church teaches with, you know, and they're part of their... Um, their thing in the temple is to do baptism for the dead. Yeah. Obviously, that's their answer for that. But what is the Christian's perspective on this? Why? Uh, what happens to the people that are unsaved or not known about, that have not heard about Jesus, uh, especially like before he, he he went to the cross or anything, and uh, and since then, uh, in you know before our modern day. Do you want that? You want me to answer that? Yeah, please. Okay. Um, Prior to Jesus coming to earth and atoning for sin and the ascension, um, those who lived by faith before him were in paradise. Those who did not were in prison or hell. Okay. It really wasn't hell. It was either Sheol or the Abuso or one of those. I can't remember. Okay. But, and then when Jesus was on the cross, he, he said to the other guy who believed by faith, the guy on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he went to paradise and he released those uh, uh, people who were in a prison to go to paradise. Excuse me. He went to prison and he released them. So people were saved by faith prior to Jesus coming. Abraham was saved by faith. And if you read Hebrews, it lays that out. So that's my answer for them. The answer that the Bible gives for those who haven't heard of Jesus before or after, or didn't have a chance to live by faith, and or who are living in the who are savages out there now and haven't heard it and die, is that there's the the law was written in many places. It was written in nature. That's what Romans says. It was written on their hearts. That's what Psalm says. So we know that they don't have an excuse for not believing in God if they die and they rejected Him while on this earth. Now, they're going to be judged according to what they were given, and they're going to be judged and given salvation based on the grace of Jesus Christ if they lived according to what their heart and their knowledge was. It doesn't have to be that they had to have heard the name uh, Aesus or Yeshua in order to be saved. They had to embrace that God was there and live according to what he had given them. Oh, okay. Very yeah. good. And by the way, that was a great... Uh dissertation he gave on the laws i really appreciated that and all we can say is that we're saved under the blood of jesus amen brother <laughs> thanks for calling you bet okay we'll talk to you again you we're bet. going to uh, bob and ogden first time caller on line three bob you're on heart of the matter well hi sean it's good to talk to you good to talk to you so far <laughs> i have a great love for you I, I met you at the park oh how are you and what you signed in my book about searching for absolute truth, I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, I remember you. Yeah, how are you? Good. I like your book. Uh, I, I am LDS, new in the LDS Church, mm -hmm. and I do believe that God is there and there is some truth there. Mm -hmm. a and uh, you've given me a lot to look at and ponder. Good. And, and I think that's great because I'm searching for truth, and that helps me. Good. And, and one of the things that bothers me is that uh, uh, some people attack you as if you're kind of you're a threat to the LDS Church. Well, you cannot be a threat to Jesus Christ. He's pretty powerful. So yeah. why do people get so upset over that? Uh, maybe they see me get upset too, Bob, and they think I'm really an evil guy. A lot of them email me with stuff like that. We're all trying, though, right? Yeah, we're all yeah. trying. And yeah. hey, hey, I, I've got the love of Jesus towards you. 
and I feel like like you're my brother. You know, Thanks, I've man. got great affection for you. Thanks, Bob. And we're all searching for truth, right? Yes, we are. And, and we're only saved through Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that the LDS don't believe that you are saved in the sense that saved means living with God again. They believe that you're saved, that you will have life after this, and that you'll get a kingdom, but it doesn't mean you'll live with God again, your faith in Jesus. They believe there's a lot of other things that are going to grant you that. And that's where the argument comes in. Well, that, that's interesting, because from my experience with them, you know, they, they believe in God, and they believe we'll go to heaven and we'll be saved. Yeah, you know, you're, you're having people tell you what you want to hear, and uh, doctrinally, I think you would find, uh, if you sat in a high priest's group, that's when the guys have kind of advanced a bit. Maybe you are one now, but if you sit in there and you listen, you'll find that uh, bottom line, the doctrine is, you will not go and live with God unless you've been sealed in the temple, unless you've done your vicarious ordinance work, unless you've been baptized by the one holding the proper authority, unless you uh, uh, have the new and everlasting covenant, etc., etc., etc. Obey, like the... Like the uh, um, like the uh, article of faith says, you will be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And you know as well as I do, Bob, that that is just antithetical to the Christians who know that you're saved by faith in Jesus. Right. We're, we're saved in faith through Jesus. And, yeah. and Jesus did say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah, and that, that, there's no question about that. There's no we're question. We're to try to keep those commandments, right? Absolutely. I mean, that, 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 is, that is the sign to other people that you are Christian, is keeping those commandments. And, and I have yet, Bob, I've yet to meet a, somebody who says that they are really Christian, in love with the Lord, who does not do everything they can to obey the commandments. And in fact, if you really want to apply like legalism, the Christians are far more legalistic in their way of life than Mormons. Mormons will, will, uh, will listen to all kinds of music. Uh, Christians won't listen to the worldly music, the ones I know who are committed. I mean, I, I see so many differences in the way of the walk uh, between a really committed Christian and a really committed Latter-day Saint. Christians are actually far more legalistic. Very good. And some of the LDS that I've associated with, uh, some of them... Uh, from, from my intensive studies in the last two years, uh, some of them don't even understand their own church. Oh, no. And that's, you know, that's one of the... Th me. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing that you're in there, Bob, because if you're a new Latter-day Saint, and I know that you're a seeker of truth. I know that you're going to be able to bring a perspective to those LDS. I hope that it won't be uh, too difficult for you when it's all revealed to you to walk away. Hey, if God wants me to walk away, I'll walk away because I'm following Jesus. I know you will, and I know you're following. There. I'll stay there. Right now, I, I, I enjoy it, yeah. and I'm learning, yeah. and you've given me a lot of things to look at and ponder, and I appreciate it, Sean. Good, Bob. Hey, I really appreciate your call. Thank you for calling, remembering me, and let's uh, get together again at the next Heart in the Mountains. Great. All right, Bob. Forward to it. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Lou from Salt Lake City, a first-time caller on line four. Lou, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hey, how you doing? Good. I'm assuming that you're a saved Christian. Yeah. Right? Uh, my question is, at this point, do you think that you can lose your salvation? If I don't abide in Christ, I think I can. And, uh, you know, that's going to send a big, big flag up the flagpole of the Christian community. But um, I think there are examples of people who have lost uh, their salvation uh, in the scriptures. I can't think of them now, but I think there are. If it came to an argument, I'd probably find them. I don't think that, uh, but here's the caveat. Uh, 
I've truly had a regenerative experience. And it, the scriptures also say that when Jesus puts you in his hand, he's not going to let you go. And I believe when you've truly had that experience, you're, you're not going to lose it because he's, he's, he really sticks with you. Now, I think people saying, yeah, I asked Jesus to come into my heart and they're living like uh, crazy. I highly doubt their, uh, their place with God when it comes to uh, salvation. But I think, that, uh, I think that my opinion is that you are saved unconditionally and eternally as long as you abide in Christ. Right. Uh, can you give me your opinion on why you think that the majority of Christians today think that once they're saved, they cannot lose their salvation? Yeah, I think that there's no peace if you have conditional salvation, meaning you can never really rest in Christ if you're constantly trying to work for it. And so they're really against anything that tells them they're going to lose their salvation. Um, and it's almost some, somewhat of a cultural thing. It's also biblical. There are references, but there's other references to, to offset that. But it is a prevalent idea. I was mentored by a guy named Chuck Smith when I went through, uh, through Bible study. And uh, I just learned from him that, uh, and I believe that we are saved as long as we abide in Christ. But I do agree, uh, you know, I just don't think that they believe you can really be at peace in the Lord if you think you can lose it. Right, well, the scriptures teach that peace comes through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to have peace. Yeah, and if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to be saved. Uh, you're right. So, uh, I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's not really a, a thing to die on. Uh, the thing to die on is Jesus, and is he really the Lord of your life, and, and do you follow him, and have you been saved? And if, you know, I'm not sure, luckily God's going to be our judge. I, I really don't know, but I personally believe that you can lose it. A lot of Christians say that it's kind of a secondary doctrine, whether yeah. or not you can lose your salvation or not. Yeah. But it seems to me there's nothing more primary than the doctrine of salvation. Yeah. And, and it's uh, your idea of whether or not you can be lose your salvation is going to affect the way you walk with well, the Lord. Here's the reason why uh, I, I put it the way I do. Um, I think that if you, if you ask Jesus to take over your life and, and you've been regenerated and been born again, the, the amount of patience and time and love and long-suffering that the Lord has with you to have you come along is uh, inhuman and we can't understand it. So it gets really dangerous to start saying, well, you lose your salvation and you start pointing fingers and, and you start coming up with rules as how to not lose your salvation. And so it's, it can become very legalistic. And so Christians are very reticent to kind of put that out there. I'm not because I believe that there are people who have committed to the Lord and who uh, they just turned their back on him and they cut themselves off from the vine. And so I do believe there's going, there's got to be a case. Like, I don't, I don't really stand completely solidly on that at all. That the Lord says that you're in His hand doesn't mean that you can't step off yourself. Yeah, and I and I understand your point, uh, and I agree with you. Uh, most Christians will not, and uh, but there's many who do. You know, it's like you said, it's a secondary theology, and it's not really pertinent to. Uh, That's the, what they say, but uh, but I think it is. Yeah, I don't. Because it affects the way you walk every day with the Lord. The reason that I don't think it does affect the way you walk is because if you've truly had the regenerative experience, you're not going to worry about it. I mean, you really won't. It's not going to be like, gosh, I wonder if I, if I can lose it. You just won't worry about it because the change will be so miraculous that your heart will know and you're just going to want to abide in Him. And so that's the experience I've had. 
it became a non-event. And I think that's why Christians will say it's really a, a secondary thing because it's a non-event to them. I appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you. Hey, thanks for calling. All right, take care. We're going to Brianne in Salt Lake City, a first-time caller. Brianne? Yes. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there. Hi. Thank you for your show once again. Mm. And um, I have a question about the commandments for um, the Mormon people. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, are, I've never met a group of people that have a church or an authority where they promote breaking the commandments as much as the Mormons. I mean, thou shalt have no other God before thee, and they believe that men are going to become gods. Okay. What is polygamy if it's not adultery? Yeah. And you can go through all those Ten Commandments. And so, um, Thou shalt not kill Porter Rockwell? Hello. <laughs> but anyway, um, I just wonder what you think about that. Hey, you know, I haven't thought of it, but in, in reality, you're, you're right on. Uh, I, I think they're right on. They preach a holiness and they preach law, but it seems to me like uh, they have a real issue with law. And let me give you an example. I have been wondering if I should bring this up, but uh, let me just share this with you. I have a friend who works with the Internet uh, here in the Salt Lake Valley, and there's a thing called Google Labs. Uh -huh. And Google Labs, what you can do is you can go on there and you can do a search for a word. And it will show you where in the world or where in the United States that word is searched for more than any other city. Okay. The majority of pornographic terms, Salt Lake City, if not number one, two, or three, is in the top ten. Mm -hmm. And they will say, well, not everybody in Salt Lake City is LDS, but I have to tell you, uh, a lot of them are. And uh, Salt Lake City is just up there, and it just shows that the law, it kills you, and you end up breaking it anyway. And I think uh, you have a point with regard to uh, many of those uh, commandments actually being discarded by them. Right. Yeah. Thanks for your show again. Hey, a great point. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Okay, see you later. We're going to Reed and Roy. Say that five times. Reed and Roy. Hi, how you doing, Sean? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Hey, I'm reading your book. And, and you have to get excommunicated from the church, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and then you said you kept going to church with your wife and daughters, right? After I was excommunicated, yeah. Yeah. Did the bishop say you couldn't take the sacrament no more? The bishop did. Uh, actually, this is going to ruffle feathers. The stake president told me I could. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so you did? Yeah. Oh, right on. Well, see, I, I was a Mormon one time, and, and they told me I couldn't take sacrament for six months because I had to repent. Yeah. You know, the reason I did it, and this is kind of weak, is I didn't assign any type of value or authority to taking it because I didn't believe it. And so taking it was just for my children who were kind of confused about what was going on with their parents and their family. And I did it just to keep them, uh, they would watch me and just to keep them going. Right now they're all Christians except for one of them. But uh, in time they came to understand the Lord. But at that time I took it just so they wouldn't worry about their dad and their mom and their mom taking it and their dad not. And the stake president, who is a very, uh, a very nice Christ-like man, said, you go ahead and take it. Which is against LDS rules, but the, he did. I was just curiosity. Hey, I love your show. I watch it every week, and I'm reading your book, and I love it. All right, Reed. Thanks so much. Thanks for calling. Later, bro. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to David on line three in Salt Lake. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Uh, I'd just like to make a couple comments about
some of the things that you talked about tonight. Yes. First of all, I just want to tell you, I am I am a former Mormon. Okay. I am not a Christian, so. Okay. Um, some of the things that you said about you know the Ten Commandments and the commandments and guilt and so forth mm -hmm. uh, were, were quite interesting to me, and, and one of the reasons was was because first of all, I've never heard anybody talk about the Ten Commandments that the way that you have. Mm. And the second thing is, is, is uh, I, I think that LDS people or Mormons um, have redefined them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the reason why I haven't heard them in that way before. But the other thing where you talk about guilt, um, I think that, that, that the Mormon Church has actually expanded upon the Ten Commandments and made maybe the Ten Thousand Commandments. <laughs> And so I think they, they are probably, most people are already feel the guilt that you're talking about. Yeah. So, so by, by, by talking about these ten, you know, I don't think they're going to feel any more. Yeah. But, but uh, I, I, don't know, uh, I, don't, I don't know much about what you're talking about as far as getting rid of the guilt other than maybe just, then, uh, uh, just one way would be to dismiss the commandments altogether, which is what, that would be one way. I've done that in my life. Which is what I've kind of chosen to do. But yeah. Anyway, that's, that's all the comments that I had. But the problem, David, with, with going that route, where I almost borderline on being nihilistic and not believing anything, is that there is a certain misery that uh, comes with that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like your mind. I think you've called before. And, uh, you know, a typical thing for Latter-day Saints to do when they leave the church is to just abandon it all. And uh, I want you to know that you don't have to step into a church. I think that you can have that regenerative relationship with Jesus. He did pay for all this stuff that we do and will continue to do. And you can have new life in him that will change you so, excuse my language, freaking radically that you're going to have a joy with you that you won't believe. I hope you'll at least give that a try. Do you have, do you have my book? I do. Good. Uh, I hope you'll just try that spiritual rebirth road and give him just a chance on your own. Oh, I'll think about it. All right, David. Hey. Call, keep calling, man. Bye. God bless. Bye-bye. All right, Ron in Salt Lake City, uh, first-time caller on line four. Ron, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you? You guys, um, I've seen your show a couple of times. Um, I'm not really sure what it's all about or whatever because all I, to me it seems like all you're doing is just kind of like trash talking about the LDS church and that yeah so I'm just wondering I mean because I know that like lots of different churches out there yeah there are and they each teach something different every every one of them has something different yeah and I'm just wondering why is it like just the LDS church that you're attacking well, a couple of reasons, and, um, and let me kind of lay them out. First of all, there are 26 shows that you can watch on the Internet, and if you go through those and uh, watch them, I know you probably don't have time, but that will give you more of a basis of what I'm doing. Second, I was LDS 40 years, and I, I really participated in most of the local area level, and I understand the church doctrine real well. And because of that, when I became a Christian at the side of the road, I became to understand the differences between the two. The third and most important reason is that I believe that Latter-day Saints 
uh, are under bondage. I do believe many of them have a relationship with the Lord and will be saved uh, by His grace. So I am different than many Christians who say they're all going to hell. But I do believe that Latter-day Saints are under bondage. And I, and I know personally, and I know from watching others, that that bondage is not necessary. And so what I do is on our show is I try to bring out Jesus, not a religion, but Jesus Christ and a personal regenerative relationship with him that will help Latter-day Saints say, hey, it doesn't matter if I go to the dang temple every month. It doesn't matter if I do these home teachings that they want or I wear these garments or I obey this law of tithing or word of wisdom even or any of this stuff. What matters is my relationship with Jesus and let how he will change my life, give me strength and direct me. So that's really the purpose of the show. Now, I tried at one point to, uh, I'm sorry I'm talking so much, but let me just finish this quick. I tried at one point to not go into anything LDS and not go into anything that would be considered anti. But what I found was LDS people would call and they would argue with me on the points I was mentioning. So the only way that I could get back with them and help them see that what they were arguing was wrong was to bring out what their beliefs and doctrines really were. And so I found that I have to go into this stuff, which sounds like I'm constantly attacking them, to help them see what I'm talking about and the differences. Does that help answer your question? Um, yeah, kind of, because I've noticed that, like, when I've noticed when people calling in, yeah, the LDS people that are from, like, the LDS church, they, they call in kind of, like, defend and attack you type, where, like, like Catholic people call in, and they're like, oh, good, good for you, you know, you yeah. tell those Mormons or whatever, and I'm just kind of wondering, like, is it just against the LDS church? You're, it's you know? because of that's my, it was more of my experiences. I'm really against any religion, Catholicism included, that will make their rites, rituals, ordinances, um, part and parcel of salvation. Uh -huh. And where the church becomes necessary for people to go to God. Any religion that says that, I'll fight tooth and nail against it. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I, I, was, I was thinking, because I saw one of the, um, I can't remember what episode I saw, but it was about like being saved and stuff. And I know that in the Bible, where Christ says that unless you've been born of water or whatever, you know, yeah. No, that's it. That's uh, that bat. That that uh, interpretation of being baptized is not what it was meant. Is not what was meant at all there. And when you're born, he said that which is born of spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Talking about being born of water and of the spirit. Also, the scriptures when it refers to water, and you can look in uh, Ephesians chapter five. It always calls the water of the word, and it's talking about being regenerated through the word of God. So I don't interpret that verse the same way you are. Yeah, so you're, in other words, like you don't need baptism at all to be saved. No, because the thief on the cross didn't have baptism. I'm sorry I use him a lot, and I don't believe that a vicarious ordinance of baptism was uh, uh, ever part of the church. And I think that um, if... If we needed baptism be, to be saved, that Jesus would have died on the cross and there would have been a baptismal font up there with him, you know, to, to kind of signify, hey, you need him and the baptismal font. It's just not true. Now, baptism is very important, but it is not necessary to, it's just not, it's just not part and parcel of what he did for us. Okay. So, what, so what, in your opinion, what is the purpose of baptism? Because Christ was baptized. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what would be the purpose if it is not for salvation? Or well, there's seven different types of baptism in the New Testament. 
and uh, we have one minute and 27 seconds left. But email me, or next week I'll talk about what those are at the beginning of the show. Is that okay, fair? Because right. I'd like to know like, your opinion on what the purpose of baptism, baptism was. I'll talk about that first thing on the show next week. Okay, thank Thanks you. for calling, man. Bye-bye. Yep. I'm sorry for those of you who are still on the line. Uh, we ran out of time. I've got a bunch of questions here from people who call. I haven't forgotten you. We'll get to those. Um, I want to throw out an invitation, a broad net, as our, uh, our uh, directors say, for everybody. If you're Catholic, if you're Mormon, if you're any of these different religions or faiths, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to just keep coming to the show and let's try to understand him together. And, and go to him. Go to God and say, in Jesus' name, I need you to take over my life. I need a new heart. I need a new spirit. And he will give that to you. And then you'll know what I'm talking about. Until that time, we just keep going and keep going over these topics. Keep emailing us. If you want to get a book, either for free or uh, pay for it, you can do it either way by going to that website. Uh, man is not saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Man is saved by faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God Almighty. See you next week. I'm on a ride going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start to